sins away. Oh, say much I'm glad. From the international headquarters of the Sword of the Lord Publishers and Ministries here in downtown Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in the greater Nashville area, in the heart of Tennessee, with Tennessee and the world at heart, this is Making a Difference, and I'm Dr. Shelton Smith. And I'm delighted to welcome you on this Monday, and I trust that our time together will be enjoyable. I trust it will be encouraging, and we want to get right into the Bible and look at some good things the Lord's got laid out for us. And He does have them laid out very clearly, and we've been looking for a couple of weeks now at life-changing Bible principles that are presented in the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're going to be in chapter 18, looking at great Bible principles that will have an impact on your life. If you receive them, believe them, then put them to work in your life. Let me remind you that July 17 through 20 are the dates for the National Sword of the Lord Conference this year. And I hope that you'll plan to be with us. Check us out at the Sword of the Lord website, and we will have all the details there for you about the conference and a lot of other things that'll be a help and a blessing to you as well. So check it out, swordofthelord.com, and you will find things that'll be helpful. Now, let's look at Matthew chapter 18, and we're looking at these life-changing Bible principles. The first one is found right at the top of the chapter, and I'll read beginning in verse 1, where we're told... At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, let me just pause in the reading there to say, Can you imagine these rascals? I mean, here they are walking with the Savior. They are in the presence of the Lord himself, and they are prodding him about, Whenever we get to heaven, who's going to be the top dog? Who's going to be the absolute ranking disciple whenever we get to heaven? Well, Jesus was ready for them. And he called a little child, verse 2, unto him, and set him, the child, in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, that example, that presentation of the child, is a really strong statement, a strong testimony. Here are these grown men wanting to know who's going to be the greatest. Now that tells you something about them. They're serving, they're walking with the Savior, and yet they're looking ahead. And it's like, uh, we want to know really how great it's going to be and which one of us is going to have top billing, which one of us will be kind of the star when we get to heaven. Now, listen, let's not be too hard on these guys. Because who among us has not had some kind of thought, whether in heaven or here on earth, but we've had thoughts sometimes that kind of fit into this same scenario, and we have to be careful about that. See, what Jesus is telling them is, come off your high horse, come on down to earth, get down in the trenches, be willing to work, be willing to serve, be willing to forget about being somebody and just be the somebody that you are. And I tell you, it's the grand teaching of Jesus that just tells us, you take care of the things you're supposed to take care of, and the Lord's going to take care of really deciding what goes on in heaven, and uh, we don't need to try to figure that out in advance. And this one is the one I call simply the who is the greatest principle. 
and it's something you and I certainly don't need to get ourselves wrapped up in that kind of questioning and that kind of attitude. We just don't need to go there. Sometimes, you know, preachers get together, well, uh, that was a great sermon, who's the greatest preacher, of all, all those kinds of things. Folks, we just don't need to be running down that trail. It's just not the thought process that is becoming to a Christian. Now, let's look at a second principle here found in verses 5, 6, and 7. Jesus said, And whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. And whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses." For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. So this one I simply call the woe to offenses principle. You know, whenever we think about taking offense or being offended, there are things the Bible teaches us about that. You and I ought not to just be ready to go out and give offense all the time. Sometimes people just seem to not care about what other people feel, what they think, how they're going to perceive things. And it's like, hey, I'm going to go do what I want to do, and I don't care what people think. Again, I think that's a problem. And whenever we go blundering like that through life, through society, we are going to be offensive and we're going to turn some people off unnecessarily. The other part of this is you and I don't need to be so quick to take offense. Whenever things are happening in our world, we're out just taking care of our business and somebody says something, somebody's ugly to us, it doesn't mean we have to take offense. It doesn't mean we have to get angry. It doesn't mean that we have to strike back. Not at all. Jesus just tells us to deal with this stuff and to deal with it not like the world deals with it, but deal with it the way that he would deal with it. Deal with it the way that a Christian, somebody who's following the Savior, would deal with it. And he just says to them, you know, if you're going to be offended, uh, you're going to find that there will be offenses. They're going to come. But he says, if you're giving offense, don't offend some of these vulnerable ones. And again, he uses a child as an example here, an example that really is naive and immature and vulnerable. And we just need to be careful that we don't throw some people under the bus unnecessarily. And whenever we have people walking around us, walking near us, we have to be aware that our testimony, our behavior, all that we are, all that we say, all that we do, it does impact other people. And so here's the lesson from this. Don't be offensive to other people, and don't you go around taking offense. Just because other people misbehave doesn't mean that we have to get all bent out of shape. And whenever you and I learn to act as a Christian— then we are going to have a stronger testimony. And I think that's the bottom line here where he's headed with all of this. Let's look at a third principle. This one is found also in Matthew chapter 18, and it's verses 21 and 22. Jesus is talking now to Simon Peter. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times. Jesus saith unto him, I say unto thee, until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now this one is the seventy times seven principle. What Jesus is saying, you just forgive, and you forgive again, and you forgive again, and you keep on forgiving. You say, if I forgive somebody 490 times, seventy times seven, 
What about the 491st time? That is not what he's trying to tell us. He's not numbering the offenses. What he's doing, he's telling us, you just keep forgiving. You can be a great forgiver when you follow the Savior. In fact, we have a great example in him. I mean, here we are all sinners, every last one of us, and the Lord receives every last one of us that'll come to him, put our faith and trust in him as the crucified and risen Savior. He receives us, and when he does, he forgives us. You say, I've got all kinds of background. I've got all kinds of baggage. I have done things you acknowledge to him, and maybe other people know about some of the things. I mean, people that are in deep crime, people that have all kinds of wickedness in their past life. And you know what? When they come to the Savior, the Lord Jesus forgives it all. It doesn't mean that some of the penalties will just automatically go away. It doesn't mean that some of the consequences will automatically go away. But as far as you being held accountable eternally, the Lord forgives your past. And if he is such a great forgiver, you and I also ought to pattern after that. And when people mistreat us, we ought to forgive. When people abuse us, we ought to forgive. That doesn't mean you tolerate it. It doesn't mean you just say, well, I'll be a doormat and let people walk on me. That's not what we're talking about here. But we're talking about you not holding grudges. We're talking about you not just letting something get inside of you and just fester there day after day and hour after hour. If you do that, bitterness is going to come, and bitterness is like a cancer that'll eat away at your heart, your spirit, your soul, and it will not serve you well. And so Jesus is telling us, just put the bad stuff behind you. Let the past be the past. Put it away and don't let it determine your present and don't let it impact your future. And that's really solid Bible evidence of the Lord's love and his goodness and his grace to us that he would tell us and teach us. I mean, this goes against the norm. Whenever you think about forgiving somebody, well, I forgave him once. Am I going to forgive him a second time? Well, the Lord says, just keep forgiving. And that forgiveness will impact you as much as it does the person that you're forgiving. And we need to understand 70 times 7 is a powerful statement. Now, I want to back up. I skipped over one, did it on purpose, because I think that 70 times 7 goes very well with the offenses that we were talking about in verses 5, 6, and 7. But let's back up just a little bit here in chapter 18 to verse 15, 16, and 17. And this one is what I call the brother's trespassing principle. Here it says, If thy brother shall have trespassed against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. So we have here a setup. We have here a framework for dealing with major problems. And this simply means that if you have a problem with someone, you are to try to sort that out just between the two of you to start with. If that works, fine. If it doesn't, then the Bible says you get a couple of other people, two or three, who can go along to help, to assist, to try to advise, to give counsel, to help moderate the situation, and uh, see if that will help to get it resolved. If it doesn't, then ultimately 
you can tell it to the church. We're talking about among brethren here, among fellow Christians. This is a way of solving difficulty. Now, I want to point out here, for one thing, you see, this is Matthew 18. Acts chapter 2 is a good long ways away yet, and we already have a church here. Uh, Sometimes folks want to say, well, Acts chapter 2 was the birthday of the church. Strange enough, Jesus is telling them here weeks, uh, I don't know what the time frame is, but at least weeks, maybe months in advance of Acts chapter 2, he's telling them if you've got a major problem, can't get it resolved, tell it to the church. Well, obviously the church was already in existence there in Jerusalem, and so he tells us that the church then has some responsibility to try to sort this out. And these principles will enable us to solve, in fact, most things. If you get with the individual, it's going to work out. If two Christians get together, put their heads together, and try to figure things out that they've got between them, most of the time it can be resolved. If not, when others get involved, that second step, I mean, here again, a lot of things are going to get resolved. Most things will never have to come before the church body. Now, if it cannot be resolved, I mean, if we've got some wickedness involved here and it can't be solved, then he said, you set it aside. You don't agree with that. You don't give yourself to that. You don't let that person just say, well, okay, we're going to do what we want to do. But he said, you may have to treat that person like you would somebody out in the world and just set it aside and say, we can't be friends and we can't have fellowship together because of this difficulty. And this is the thing that you have to deal with when a brother trespasses against you. And that is a very, very basic principle. So you see today here, all four of these principles we've looked at have to do with the relationships that we have with other people. And these are precious things, things that will help us. That's why I'm calling all of these principles life-changing. There's a difference between the way you and I operate and the way people operate in the world, and the way we operate is because we have Bible principles, and that ought to be life-changing. And listen, we'll get back to some more of this tomorrow, and I trust that you'll be right along with me and we'll have a good time doing it. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you, so write me a note, Dr. Shelton Smith at P.O. Box 1099, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 37133. The email address is radio at swordofthelord.com. Until tomorrow, God bless you. Have a good rest of the day, and goodbye for now.